Hello and welcome to the EVs and Beyond podcast. I'm your host, Rich Edwards, And this week we have one of, I guess, the leading figures in New Zealand EV scene with us, ChargeNet founder and chief executive, Steve West. Thanks for joining us, Steve. Good morning. Now, it's a little bit of a birthday for you guys, really. News going out today that it's been five years since you put in your first DC charger up at Kaiwaka. So happy birthday. Thanks very much. <laughs> and uh, and are you when you were sitting back there five years ago with your one charger, are you kind of where you hope you would be five years down the track with, I mean, what's the total number on the, on, out on the field now? Oh, wow. We are, um, I should have checked before this. Ah, approximately yeah, good enough. Uh, so we're over 200. Yeah, we're up around 205 now. And that is, yes, uh, well in excess of any plans we started with. I seem to recall the number being 75 in the original business plan. And then that, that grew to 100. And then, I don't know you blink and then now there's 200 so so how did i mean why the why the jump and and do we need them i mean if what where did the number 75 come from was that what you thought would kind of cover the country or or? yeah i mean if you just take a look at the highway network and you do some math and it looks like 75 would do but of course reality is never that straightforward one of the big drivers has been the popularity of electric vehicles and particularly regional popularity so Wellington is a good, really good example. Massive uptake of EVs, a lot more demand for our services than we ever expected. And so we've had to do a lot of infill, a lot of additional charging capacity that, of course, has blown us way past 75, way past 100, and we're at 200 and still, you know, I don't think we're done yet. Where do you think it, it, it stops? I mean, how much more do you need to go? And, and are we looking now at necess- more necessarily extra locations or perhaps adding more units at existing locations? Yeah, so there's a couple of things there. The population of electric vehicles continues to grow, and so we have to keep installing capacity to serve that. If it was spread evenly over the country, then that would be fine. We would already have plenty of capacity, but it isn't spread evenly. It's highly concentrated. And so I mentioned the Wellington region. That's a a great example but also main sort of thoroughfares that get very, very busy during holiday periods. Those need to be bolstered. But generally, just an uplift in the fleet size means more and more demand. And you're right, it is a lot more convenient if you're a driver and you need to charge. If you can go to a location and you know that that location is far more likely to have an available charger than not, then, you know, that makes it much more attractive. So... I would say that's the way that we're going to approach things going forward is instead of having individual charges sprinkled all over the place, will be more consolidated sites. So, Because that's what you've seen in Norway. You don't necessarily see, from my understanding, DC charges at the local supermarket, but you will find a bank of 20 of them at a major roads, uh, you know, motorway junction. Yeah, and Norway is in some ways a glimpse into our future, although... Arguably, they have in some ways got a a bit of a raw deal because they've gone for mass EV adoption a little bit too early in the technological progress. So, I mean, if you look at the way that batteries are developing, you look at the way vehicles are developing, the charging standards are developing five years ago, six years ago when we started, there was 50 kilowatts and that was absolutely cutting edge. And, you know, it wasn't, it even 
very straightforward to get a 50 kilowatt charger six years ago. You know, that was like really brand new technology, kind of almost experimental. And the vehicles you could buy could barely do 50 kilowatts and then only for a few minutes. And now we've got vehicles that can do 50 kilowatts for hours. And of course, the new charging standards support even faster charging, much faster, so 300 kilowatts plus. The batteries aren't quite there yet. So the most powerful battery would be the Porsche Taycan at 265. And then we've seen those here in New Zealand charging at that speed, albeit briefly. So... Our approach from sort of this point forward is really to concentrate on a combination of delivering really high power for those vehicles that can take advantage of that, but also providing many, many charging ports at a single location. So Bombay is our first site and of in that nature, and it's fantastic. It's got four charging cables, each of which can deliver 300 kilowatts plus another couple of charging cables that deliver 50 kilowatts. And it would be crazy, though, to literally put four 300-kilowatt charging stations in there with the mixture of vehicles we have in the fleet right now. And or even looking forward into the future, it's going to be many, many, many years until the majority of vehicles can charge at 300 kilowatts. Does everyone need to charge at 300 kilowatts? Because this is one of my theories. I, I can't see batteries getting... On, in passenger cars, maybe in pickup trucks or something, something that much bigger than 100 kilowatts. Personally, I don't see it happening. 100 kilowatt hours. 100 kilowatt hours, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. No, you're right. That's, I mean, that's a pretty decent range. That's what's that 500k range, and that really ought to be enough for most people. Yeah. And the, but the batteries, as they improve, then will come down in cost and increase in charging speed. And so, yeah, we want to be able to offer both. We want to be able to give people 300 kilowatts if they're capable of it, but we also want to be able to serve the majority of vehicles, which are not going to be up at that sort of speed, maybe 150. I think 150 is going to be a very popular kind of charging speed, 150 kilowatts. We're already seeing that today. Many of the brand new vehicles can charge E-tron at that speed. and I-Pace. And- yeah, and you can, so maybe that 150 to 200 in that sort of realm. And so for us then, it's, far more, how do I say this, kind of economically rational to install less than 300 kilowatts per charging cable, but have it in a way that it can be shared and all all 300 kilowatts can go down one cable if you're capable of that. And, and I think it's it's I think there's been some misunderstanding from people out there as to what those charges, at, the, the hyperchargers that they call them at Bombay, were supposed to be. I mean, so people online are going over there, oh, I rushed down there, I only got 60 kilowatts or whatever on my Kona. But I think it misses the point, doesn't it? I mean, there's never into, I, I know that it's able to go and feed huge amounts of power into some vehicles, but arguably isn't it also just to be the most efficient as you can as having, you know, you've got one unit but three cables and the ability to get as many cars plugged in at once and charging at a decent rate to reduce that turn of time. Because you've got two charges there, but you could have six cars charging at once, as opposed to if you put, you'd have to put six V-fill units there to get the same kind of... And six V-fill units would only ever charge at 50 kilowatts each. So if you had your Porsche Taycan or even your Audi e-tron or um, Jaguar I-Pace plugged into a V-fill, it's only going to get 50 kilowatts. So this is like the best of both worlds. We're providing charging for six cars, but also providing that 300 kilowatt charging for the vehicles that are capable of it. And it 
just lets us serve so many more vehicles because you're right it's like six times the capacity of a normal charger site that we would deliver and i'm going to be stoked to drive through bombay this year and go there and see six cars parked there charging at one time i'm hoping that that happens and i think it will happen at times this this summer yeah yeah i mean if you combine the increase in the fleet size along with the surge that we get over every holiday period uh, it seems inevitable that we are going to hit that point where it does actually get full. Uh, I don't think it's happened yet, but, you know, keep an eye out. Do you, I mean, you kind of indicated as where you're going, but I mean, how long until we see almost like a an EV st- EV charging station? Well, that's, that's a wrong use of the language, but I guess the EV equivalent of a fuel station in New Zealand where you go there and there are maybe 20 chargers lined up like you would see in Norway. Is that, are we a long way off that? Well, this is what I was alluding to before. You were talking about Norway having banks and banks and banks, like 20 odd chargers in one location. And they are having to do that because all of their cars are stuck at 50 kilowatt speed. Whereas in New Zealand, we're kind of lagging behind the rest of the world and definitely lagging behind Norway. So although we have a fleet that is almost entirely 50 kilowatt charging cars, when you look at exponential growth, in a couple of years, we will have doubled that fleet size. And then a couple of years after that, we'll have doubled it again. And very quickly, that massive 50 kilowatt vehicles is going to get dwarfed and replaced by vehicles that are capable of charging much, much faster Whereas if you're someone like Norway that's rushed ahead, they're kind of stuck now with this legacy of all of these cars and they're having to install many, 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 many chargers at one site. So my point being, I don't think that it's going to be a long, long time until we need to have 20 chargers at one location because by the time we have that many vehicles, they'll be capable of charging so much faster. Where are your next hyperchargers going in? I understand Kaiwak is set to get one in the future. Yes. So we've got uh, funding from Ika to help us with locations at Topor and Kaiwaka, Smales Farm, Christchurch, and Bulls. And first off the rank will definitely be Topor. We're just going to take a quick break for uh, a message from this week's podcast sponsor, Powertrip. Are you hitting the road this summer in your EV? Don't think that a big battery and full charges is the only way to get anywhere over a long distance or that simply you can't make a long distance trip in reasonable time. You can, and that's why being clever and charging appropriately and picking the right route for your vehicle. PowerTrip is a free New Zealand-made app. Their route planner map data like road speeds and elevation and so forth helps you plan your road trips to make range anxiety a thing of the past. This summer, PowerTrip is introducing a new reward program called Lightning Points. Refer a mate through the app to your favourite EV dealer and get rewarded with points for each EV you add to New Zealand roads. Redeem your points for ChargeNet charging credits or for discounts and services from your EV dealer. For every 250 points you earn, PowerTrip also plants a native tree through Trees That Count. What a great little addition to the uh, to the process there. Download the PowerTrip app on Android and iPhone today and get ready to start referring from early December 2020. It's quite a log jam there at the moment, isn't it? There's the, all those lovely Tesla charges there and just that one little 50 yeah. kilowatt. Yeah, it is. And there's a whole, you know, I don't want to bore you with the details of the logistics, but, you know, a lot of the stars have to align for a site 
to come off. And, and then that's just a 50 kilowatt site. When you're going up to these 300 kilowatt sites, then... It's a lot of power. It's a lot of power, and that means a lot more infrastructure. So, for instance, 50 kilowatts is relatively small compared to most transformer sizes. If you wander down the street, you might see a 200 kilowatt, 300 kilowatt, 500 kilowatt transformer. That means it's reasonably likely to have spare capacity enough to accommodate a 50 kilowatt charger. But when you're talking about 600 kilowatts or more that we need, that is far beyond any level of spare capacity. It is well into the utility having to install a dedicated transformer just for us from scratch. And those transformers have long lead times. I mean, it can take six months just to have a transformer manufactured let alone getting all of the regulatory approvals and then the high voltage cables, we're talking 11 kilowatt cables, and it's just kilovolt cables. It's it's a it's just everything is multiplied and that much more difficult. And, and everyone knows how hard it is to get something planned through a council. Yes, and you know, Topol is a good example where you know a year ago when we were applying for the ECA funding, the council was very supportive, and fast forward to now, and we've had to negotiate over what they're actually able to give us. And we do have an agreement now, so that's great. And so we'll be proceeding with that installation. But it just sort of means that the it takes that much longer and the lead times on the components and everything, it's just so much more expensive, so much slower to bring things in. These hyperchargers come from Italy. There's pretty long lead times there, both in manufacturing and shipping. And we can't really... We don't really want to get ahead of ourselves. I mean, you'd think, oh, well, we'll just pre-order them, but that's not really how it works. Someone's got to pay for them <laughs> at the end of the day, isn't it? Yeah, someone's got to pay for them, and we really don't want to be committing ourselves to at that sort of a level of expenditure without being absolutely certain that ECA are going to um, contribute some of that cost. Does it work as a business? I mean, it, it is a, a private business, is my understanding. You've got shareholders and owners and so forth. I mean, does it work as a business, or is this... I know in the early days, you guys were doing a lot of this to push forward the market. Yeah. So you're saying, are we profitable? <laughs> and the yeah. short answer is not yet, <laughs> which is really simple to explain. We've only got 23,000 electric vehicles in New Zealand. There's only so much public charging that those vehicles need. Whereas we are a company of reasonable size, 14 employees. You know, there's some fairly significant overheads. And that alone means that it's just not feasible for us to be profitable until there's three or four times the number of electric vehicles on the road. But, you know, if we can get back into that exponential growth that we were seeing in years gone by, then it doesn't take very long to get there. But yes, there's also obviously financing the actual hardware is also a big deal. I mean, I know you've got the, the ECA fund, obviously that's been been fairly big for you guys over the years. I imagine. I mean, is there enough? Uh, look, I'm not delving into whether the uh, your own funding arrangements, but whether you think there is enough capital interest out there for investors to fund the rollout of this kind of infrastructure in New Zealand, or does the government need to keep stumping more cash? Well, as you know, ECA is only providing co-funding, so matched funding, and obviously we have to come up with the the other half, at least the other half, plus cover all of our operational overheads, and I would say it's it's pretty positive in the financial space, partly because the 
banks are dealing in these green bonds. They'll issue a green bond and they'll get a load of money, typically from Europe or the US, and then they have to find projects to finance with that money that meet their green criteria. And if you actually cast your eye about the New Zealand landscape, there's not that many projects that would qualify. I think a lot of money is going into green buildings, for instance, which you could argue about how green a green building is with the amount of energy that's embedded in its construction. Whereas we are just a big, big fat green tick for those uh, financiers. How do we get back to that exponential growth? I mean, what do, you, what do you think needs to happen? And, you know, we've kind of had this ramp up of, of the used imports and we're kind of reaching the point where supply is kind of about where you're going to get for the month. It kind of has to shift the new market now, doesn't it, as far as getting new vehicles onto the road? Or at least growing the number of vehicles going on every month. So if you'd asked me this question two years ago, then it would have been so obvious because we were already on that exponential growth curve. And then it got somewhat stymied and I would lay a lot of the blame at the feet of the politicians that announced pre-announced announcements about potential EV subsidies. And, you know, they got very excited. as Without clearing it through Winston first. Yes. <laughs> and so there was a lot of talk about, oh, well, you know, if you just wait a couple of years, you'll get $8,000 off the price of your EV. Now, that's a pretty strong disincentive to buying a car if you can just wait and get a big discount. As we know, yeah, Winston put the kibosh on all of that. Now we're post-election. Now we know that Labor's policy is not around direct EV subsidies, but more indirect emissions scheme. Clean car, clean car standard. Yep. Clean car standard, yes. And the scheme that was being bandied about earlier in the year was a financial one. So in the background, it was effectively a fee bait, but at a wholesale level. So an importer, the average emissions of the fleet of cars they imported would have to meet a certain standard or they would be penalised direct financial penalty per vehicle and um, you know and that was again in the order of thousands of dollars per per car on the other side of the equation were the clean cars and they would receive a credit not cash but at least a credit and then I think the idea was that the importers could somehow trade those yeah, yeah. So credits they, between so they've themselves got to group their average co2 if they go over they've got to pay a penalty basically yeah the interesting choice, I think, with the government going for, with Labor going for the standard rather than the fee bait, is it's actually the one that the industry has, has said they will fight because it, it doesn't work. The industry, the vehicle industry is actually oddly pro a fee bait. They can make a fee bait work. But a standard means that they actually have to, rather than the customers choosing with their own money, they have to kind of work out how to balance the whole thing themselves. It's an it's a interesting dynamic. I couldn't speak to the opinions of the car dealers. I have no idea. But yeah, at least, you know, at least there's something, though so far it's only really policies that were in their pre-election. It would be great to see the government come out with a really definitive statement about um, what they are or are not doing. I can tell you if you pick up the latest Auto Talk magazine that they signed that agreement on Saturday last week. So we're recording this on about the, I think it's the 9th of... November, like 10th of of November. So last weekend, the Greens signed their agreement with the, previous weekend, Greens signed their agreement with the Labour. The Monday morning, transport officials issued to 
key members of the industry the proposed uh, way well, proposed working document on the new clean car standard. So they're moving forward very quickly with it. Yes. Okay, that's good to hear. But I think that there's a level of insulation between that sort of wholesale discussion with the car dealers and the general buying public who probably aren't aware what's going on. And just having that confusion out there has got to be having a kind of chilling effect on people's purchasing decisions. So the sooner that they can come out with some sort of definitive statement to the general public, then the sooner people will be able to resolve that decision in their minds. They'll be like, okay, nothing really substantial is coming, sold by today. Or it's actually going to be three months, so maybe we'll see no car sales for three months. Or maybe it's the sort of thing where they need to bring it in secretly and <laughs> you know, reveal it after it's too late. Are you enthusiastic about seeing... And, and I, I use this in quote marks, affordable EVs finally starting to make their way into the market. You know, we're, the first deliveries of the MG ZS EV start this month. They've just today cut the price down to sub $50,000. Do you think that will also have a bit of an impact on how the numbers move? They've already sold about 120, I think. Well, that's, um, I mean, it's really great to see that in a new car market. Of course, that's only half the market. You've still got all the people. And I would have thought actually in EVs, it's probably less than half most evs i imagine are used out of japan yeah the, the balance is, has been slowly shifting depending on what's arriving it used to kind of be four to one new to use now i think it's getting near to uh, sorry four to one used to new and i think it's now at about kind of just short of two to one new to use depending on the month so it's certainly growing so yeah, for the for people that are in the market for a new car, so like those the fleets, perfect example, right? Where you've got these big corporates, big fleets of cars, and it's time that they changed them out, and they've been resisting because the the EVs are don't pay off on paper; they're just just too expensive. Perfect, you know that gives a great drop in product there, but that's only yeah, you know, like you say, a third of the market this month but <laughs> i think when things really pick up though you know you've still got people really their budgets are down at low tens not not up near 50 so i don't think it's, i don't see it moving the dial for most people we're just going to take a quick break for a message from this week's podcast sponsor power trip are you hitting the road this summer in your ev don't think that a big battery and full charges is the only way to get anywhere over a long distance or that simply you can't make a long distance trip in reasonable time. You can, and that's why being clever and charging appropriately and picking the right route for your vehicle. PowerTrip is a free New Zealand-made app. Their route planner map data like road speeds and elevation and so forth helps you plan your road trips to make range anxiety a thing of the past. This summer, PowerTrip is introducing a new reward program called Lightning Points. Refer a mate through the app to your favourite EV dealer and get rewarded with points for each EV you add to New Zealand roads. Redeem your points for ChargeNet charging credits or for discounts and services from your EV dealer. For every 250 points you earn, PowerTrip also plants a native tree through Trees That Count. What a great little addition to the, uh, to the process there. Download the PowerTrip app on Android and iPhone today and get ready to start referring from early December 2020. Yeah, it, it's it's interesting that the used one is going to become a problem in that we're almost reaching the capacity of what you can pull out of Japan. The The sad fact is that electric vehicles have been a giant failure in Japan, which is our major source market. And we already take, if you look at the percentage we take of the main market from Japan as used imports, 
it's X. And if you look at the percentage of their input, their electric vehicle fleet we take, it's a multitude higher. So how much more the used market can actually still bring out of Japan per month is going to be interesting to see. So a lot of that growth has to come from those new vehicles trickling down through the system. Mm-hmm. And and you're right. Yeah. The so hopefully there's some new EVs that are appealing to the Japanese market today, which will then flow through to our market in three years' time. Now you seem to have owned pretty much every EV on the planet over the years. <laughs> What have you got now and what's your favourite? I mean, what are you actually tending to, to drive these days? And, and is there anything you've got on order? You've got your eye on? <laughs> no, I guess. So to be clear, I do not own any Tesla stock. I have never owned any Tesla stock. And I really wish I had, of course, now. And so there's a little bit of bitterness there that the amount, you know, all the money that I've spent on Teslas over the years if I had only bought Tesla stock instead, I'd be a rich man. Because <laughs> <laughs> you've had four Teslas now? Yes. Four. Yes, I've still got the original Roadster, and I did have the P85 Plus. I've still got the P85D, and my wife has the X, the P100D. And you've got... Ex-wife, sorry. <laughs> Should clarify. <laughs> and you've got, you've got other stuff as well. You've had a Kona, you've had an i3, you've had... What else have you had over the years? Yes. <laughs> so many you've forgotten. So the, the, the iMeve, yes, the Kona, yes, the i3. Am I forgetting anything? You had a New Zealand New Leaf, I think. It was. Yes, I did have a New Zealand New Leaf. 2012, actually, yeah, so one of the first. So putting the Teslas aside of all yeah. those, what did you enjoy? I mean, what did you like? You used to be a big fan of your Kona, I think. I, you know, that's... This is going to sound strange, but one of the EVs that I've enjoyed the most in all the years I've been driving them was the e-Golf. Never owned one, but loved driving it. And I don't know what, I mean, you know, the i3 is great, but it's so weird. And like even just driving it, not only does it look weird on the outside, but you get into it and it's weird to drive. It's got that weird gear shift, you know, just totally counterintuitive. By contrast, the e-Golf, you couldn't even tell. You hop into it and you're like barely aware that it's an EV. As I've written a couple of times, it's just a Golf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and that's the thing is like, yes, drivetrain is a really big deal. But at the end of the day, you have to have a car that you actually enjoy driving. And some companies like Volkswagen, you know, all companies, car companies have, have make different sorts of cars that suit different people and so i would hate to be a car reviewer you know because then you've got to somehow put yourself in the mindset of everyone whereas of course you're not everyone you're just one person and you just like what you like and if you can get it in an ev then perfect and that's what's been really interesting i've been to a few car launches and when mercedes launched their ev here there was a bunch of people there but they weren't the Tesla drivers or the Leaf drivers. They were Mercedes fans who'd just been waiting for Mercedes to bring out an EV. Same with Audi. You know, these car brands have really strong loyalty that's built up over the years, and people are just waiting. They won't buy a Tesla. Doesn't matter how whiz bang it is, they'll wait until Audi or whomever bring out their EV that suits them because they're used to how those cars designed and i think it's interesting when you look at those you look at the eqc the e-tron the i3 
electric that's sorry the ix3 that's coming they all stay relatively close to the format of their existing cars and that's because though you don't necessarily want to scare those customers they want to give those customers an option mm. so do they tick the electric option or do they tick the form the the v8 turbo option yeah and um yeah it's great that those people can be bought into the ev family so to speak yeah, so, you know, I always laugh at every headline that says Tesla killer, you know, <laughs> it's just like such clickbait. But because people, uh, there is, in much the same way, there's there's loyalty to Tesla and there's loyalty to Audi and there's presumably loyalty to Volkswagen. So, yeah, I, I think I think Tesla's just as guilty of clickbait as anyone else. I mean, the Cybertruck is case in point. <laughs> Do you think that'll ever make it to New Zealand? Oh, I don't think it'll even make it to America. <laughs> <laughs> well, it should. It should. Uh, it should make it to America. But it's, I mean, haven't they said that they can't, they can't, just can't really sell it outside of America because it's so big. And so then they're unlikely to make a right-hand drive version just for us. Yeah, I think I think it's as much as anything they'll struggle to make it uh, fit crash rules in other countries is, is more to the point. Or pedestrian, pedestrian safety. safety. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. The car that not only kills them, but cuts them in half. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> now, you mentioned uh, fleets before. In regard, you know, they need to replace their fleets getting into electrics. Is that an area of charging you guys have looked at as a, a business opportunity? Particularly now as we're seeing and hearing down the tracks, we've got a lot of bigger electric vans coming through. Companies may need to look at DC options within their own complexes or within their supply chains is that something you guys have have looked at or, or worked with companies on yet yeah um it's a little known fact that we do actually sell charging stations as well as um, install them ourselves so we have been doing that in a number of cases and um because we have a lot of experience and a lot of expertise it's you know we're we're definitely providing that expertise to other organizations we recently supplied a 300 kilowatt charger to the east by west ferry company in wellington so that's another exciting avenue the the whole electric ferry development yeah we're going to see a few of our chargers turning up on waiheke soon to so, charge the new bus that's been launched to, today there to charge something over there <laughs> And you guys just install those or do you manage them? Do they, I mean, does the driver go and swipe a charge net fob when he turns up? I mean, no, I mean, obviously if something's in a private depot, it doesn't need to have billing attached to it. But we do provide definitely the, the remote telemetry and monitoring and, you know, obviously notifications if there's errors and help to resolve those. Speaking of billing, I mean, my thing was from, from the outset that was kind of one of your guys' remits as well, was not necessarily just putting infrastructure out there, but creating that 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 RFID, that billing channel, that system for potentially other operators out there. Now, I know we've seen Open Loop pop up, and I think your guys' RFIDs coexist with them, or no? Not intentionally. Not intentionally. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm I think wrong then? I'm wrong? They... <laughs> But has anyone else picked up your services? I mean, is there, are there any other charges out there that you can use with a with a charge net option? Very much so, yeah. So that was, as you say, right from day one, we made it clear that the the whole system was open to anyone that wanted to add their charger. And so, yeah, roughly 20% of the charges on our network are not owned by us. So utilities like Orion, Unison... Alpine Energy, Eastland Networks, they've installed, possibly installed chargers, maybe not even thinking about 
necessarily what they're going to do as far as payment goes or not even realizing that payment is a, a system that gets overlaid on top. But either way, they've ended up joining our network. And those those ventures have gone well. They're, they are going to make a meaningful part of your business in the long run, you think? Oh, sure. Yeah. How much longer does free charging have? I mean, look, we're already seeing in Auckland congestion issues around some of the free charges that are available. Uh, do you think free DC charging has much life left in it? Well, it's. I guess it has life as long as someone's willing to keep paying for it. But, but it makes for a terrible user experience. I mean, I'm hearing now, you hear stories now of queues of five or six Leafs at Silverdale on a Saturday morning. Yes. I mean, of course, it's, you know, madness. And we would love to provide billing services for those charges. Like, I can't tell you why those charges continue to be free. That's Vector's business. And as in electricity. Well, it's not just Vector. There's other free ones around the country as well, and they all kind of seem to suffer the same, yeah. same congestion issues. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it, every utility that has installed a free charger has sooner or later realised that it's a path to madness, you know, for the poor drivers that get stuck queuing up because um, it does get abused. It, the, it's crazy the number of people that are willing to go out of their way to get a free charge save two or three dollars when they could have charged at home it's a very very weird distorted behavior Mm. if you had a a wish list of things that you could get from the government and and look you you've you and d and 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 the people who work around you have done more i think than anyone over the last five years to promote and push forward the number of evs and how evs are on new zealand roads if you had a wish list of more of what could be done next by the government or by any organization to kind of push that to the next level what is it? What's your magic bullet? Oh, wow. <laughs> you know, I, th- I think this actually in many ways has been done to death. The the All we need to do is look to overseas markets to see what has worked and emission standards work, direct subsidy, subsidies work, scrappage schemes work. Just do something. Just, yeah. Um, Pick from the list. <laughs> exactly. You know, you could kind of like throw everything at the wall and see what sticks. <laughs> Is it your role and your and the people around you's role? You know, there's, there's a group, I guess, you know, kind of tied to the Better NZ Trust and so forth and, and, and you per se. Is it, is it still your job to push forward the whole drive an EV thing or is it your turn now to focus on actually building your business and building a, a network that without the distraction? Or do the two go hand in hand? Well, I think in the early days, the one of the problems was that electric vehicles were just very rare. You know, you couldn't take one for a test drive, even if you wanted to. So it was somewhat of a kind of chicken and egg thing there. And the work we did in the early days was about just getting the cars in front of people, showing them off to them, taking them for rides, letting them drive them, borrow them. A lot of that kind of heavy lifting, I think, has now been picked up by the car dealers because, you know, we have got a lot more visibility of electric vehicles, a lot more stock, a lot more models, a lot more variety, a lot more promotion being done by the automotive industry instead of leaving it up to enthusiasts. So, yeah, I think that has, in many ways, become the focus and... So I'm much less involved now personally in that promotion. And so it's it's kind of historic. There's always going to be room for some events. 
Yeah, so for me, I'm focused on ChargeNet. Excellent. Look, I think the industry has a, a, a big... A big uh, bill of thanks to to you and uh, and your wife and and the team around you over the years for for ex wife kind of ex wife ex wife sorry for pushing the uh, industry forward and look uh, we uh, hope it continues and I and I hope to see kind of you guys becoming the the BP of electric vehicles in New Zealand and there's a Z, there's a um, there's a, a charging station on every corner. Look, uh, thanks for joining us, Steve West. Uh, that's Steve West from ChargeNet. Thanks, Richard. Thanks again for listening to the EVs and Beyond podcast. Do not forget to throw us a five-star rating and share the podcast. It really helps us out. We'll catch you again in two weeks' time.